0: Welcome to YouNews, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, November 6th. I'm Mighty Interiano. These are today's headlines. A series of unanswered questions remain after a family of nine. An American family of nine are murdered in Mexico. We'll have the latest on the tragedy and the response from both sides of the border. A pivotal election day 2019, Democrats taking over the state government in Virginia for the first time in a generation as a close race is deep red, Kentucky suggests a Democrat will likely be the next governor there. And on Capitol Hill, Democratic lawmakers announcing public impeachment inquiry hearings will begin next week. More and more evidence emerging as a quid pro quo allegedly orchestrated by President Donald Trump. We begin today with the latest on a massacre in Mexico. We're learning new details about the deadly ambush of an American family. The brutal attack leaving six children and three mothers dead. Miraculously, some of the kids were able to escape. Police intensifying their investigation into what happened. Claudia Zurita has more from Mexico.
1: Two days after the Lebron family massacre, where at least six children and three women died between the border of the state of Sonora and Chihuahua, there are new details in the investigation. Authorities confirming more than 200 Remington bullet shells were found at the crime scene. Foreign Affairs Minister Marcelo Ebrard said that there is good communication between President Trump and President López Obrador and that all information will be accessible as an example of cooperation.
2: The Attorney
1: General will have to determine if other type of support is needed, for example by the FBI, because of American-made firearms were found at the scene. Authorities this morning gave more details about the timeline of events, adding that it's possible that the Labyrinths weren't the intended target, because some of the children were set free.
2: The people that attacked the occupants of the caravan let
1: the miners go. President Manuel López Obrador thanked President Trump's offer to help investigations and asked the U.S. President to respect Mexico's sovereignty.
2: No es ese afán injerencista,
1: it's not about interference with Mexico's affairs, it's a show of solidarity of support if we request it. Security Minister Durazo de addressed porterán, reports of an arrest in the case, but he said the person arrested was unrelated to this crime. The so manhunt the still record. continues to find the people Need responsible for, for the massacre of this family part. with dual U.S.-Mexican Shut citizenship. Up.
2: La de la línea, After the threat eh, of Los Salazar from
1: Sonora entering the, Chihuahua, amenaza, La Línea sent a group to stop the, them entering the their territory. The aggressions la, to the Lebaron family were attributed to this. Chihuahua. The Mexican government is vowing to seek justice and find all the people responsible for this crime. In Mexico City, Claudia Zurita, U News.
0: And with more on the tragic aftermath of the massacre in Mexico, we go to Tagni Noriega, who has more details on the children who survived the attack.
3: That's a dramatic crying of a baby that survived the massacre of the Sierra de Sonora in Mexico. In this video, filmed in a clinic in Bavispe, Sonora, children of different ages are seen also injured. They almost got killed by the hail of bullets. They were 14 minors, six died, five were hurt, and three were unharmed. The ten-year-old girl Mackenzie, she went for help, and she was also shocked. Meanwhile, here in this hospital in Tucson, there are five of the surviving children, some still fighting for their lives. All of them in shock after seeing how their mothers got killed, says the family. The children's father is in the hospital with them, and he's not giving too much information. The injured in this hospital are 14-year-old Kyle, who was shot in one foot, four-year-old Sander, with a shot in the back, nine-month-old Braxton Oliver, wounded in the chest, eight-year-old Cody Grayson, with a shot in the jaw, and Mackenzie, who was shot in one arm. The three-year-old boy was hit in his chest by a bullet that was just millimeters away from hitting his heart. The injured children were transported early in the morning to the United States border by the Mexican Air Force, and from there, brought by helicopter to this hospital, in Tucson, Arizona, reported by Pedro Olteras, this is Stanley Noriega for you news.
0: Now, another major story. Tuesday was Election Day in America, and it was a big day for Democrats as polls closed in several key states across the country, perhaps most significantly scoring big wins in Virginia and claiming a narrow victory in the governor's race in Kentucky, a typically deep red state. Let's go to Professor Charles Selden of Nova, Nova Southern University, who joins us once again. Thank you for joining us, Professor. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. What do you make of the results of last night's elections?
4: Well, it was a good night for Democrats. No way to no way to get around that. They picked up a seat in a red state in Kentucky. They flipped the legislature in uh, Virginia, but that stated while it was good, it wasn't amazing. Uh, They lost a seat that they thought they had a chance for for the governor's seat in Mississippi. In Kentucky, all the down-ballot races went Republican. But what should have the Republicans worried and the Democrats very pleased is the turnout and the the vote in suburban voting districts, suburban uh, Philadelphia. Uh, outside of uh, the Kentucky side of, of from Cincinnati, all of those were areas that generally voted Republican in the past, and they went blue in this election.
0: And speaking of that, some areas of the Kentucky suburbs voted for the Democratic candidate. These are areas that were solidly solidly Republican and voted for Trump in the 2016 elections. Does this represent a problem for the Republican
4: Party? a big problem if this trend continues. Uh, What we're seeing is kind of a generational shift between the parties. Uh, uh, Non-college-age white voters are moving more towards the Republicans, and college uh, graduates in the suburbs are moving towards the Democrats. If that trend continues, that takes a major source of the Republican voter base away from them. Uh, while the Democrats, who have been struggling in rural areas for, for a while, will see a continuation of that. Um, the real question is, can the Republicans get enough of a boost in rural areas and from non-college graduate white voters to compensate for losing the suburbs? And, and I'm not sure did they, they, the numbers are there for that.
0: Professor Seldon, in Virginia, the Republican Party lost control of both the House and the Senate. How unprecedented is that in this state?
4: Well, there was a time when the state was solidly blue, but that was a long time ago. Uh, when when it, the, to be blue in, in Virginia meant that you were pro-segregation. Uh, effectively, what, what we're seeing is despite gerrymandering, uh, the 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 rise of Democratic voters, primarily in Northern Virginia, but also in the suburbs of of uh, Richmond, have given control of the state to the to the Democrats. They now control all the statewide offices, and they now control the legislature. They can not only pass legislation they want; they'll be the ones in charge uh, after 2020 for redistricting for the next decade that follows
0: now in the mississippi race republicans retained control republican candidate lieutenant governor tate reeves won the governorship president trump traveled to the state to rally for him did that help in this case
4: well it didn't hurt um mississippi is a very red state and uh the democrats have not had a viable candidate for the governor's uh position for a lot of election cycles What they had was a relatively popular attorney general who they thought might this time be the one who could win. It turns out that while he could make it close, it wasn't going to be that way. Uh, That it was competitive, says good things for the Democrats, that despite that the Republicans won, says this is a Republican state and likely to stay that.
0: Well, thank you very much, Professor Selden, for joining us one more time from Nova Southern University. Have a great afternoon.
4: You too.
0: Thank you. And in other election news, listen to this. Remember the cyclist who went viral after flipping off President Trump's motorcade in 2017? She won a local election last night in Virginia. Julie Briskman will now be a supervisor in Loud London County just two years after the well, that famous photo was released of her flipping off the presidential motorcade and it made its way back as he made his way back to the white house after finishing an afternoon at the golf course in sterling virginia briskman was forced to resign after that but now she's won one more time Now to Capitol Hill, the impeachment inquiry moving along quickly. Congressman Adam Schiff announcing the first open hearings will begin next week. Meanwhile, another major twist. A key witness has now reversed himself and conceded that there was a quid pro quo with Ukraine, contradicting Trump's core defense. Claudia Uceda is in Washington with the latest.
5: In a stunning reversal, Gordon Sonland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, revising his testimony detailing a quid pro quo with Ukraine, saying he told a top Ukrainian official they would likely not receive $400 million in military aid unless they publicly committed to investigate Trump's political rivals. That's not what he had originally testified. When asked if there were any preconditions of the aid, Sonland originally testified, no. But Sonland said his memory was, quote, refreshed by other witnesses who contradicted his original testimony.
4: It's never too late to do the right thing.
5: In a text exchange with another U.S. diplomat in September, Sonland claimed the president had been crystal clear no quid pro quotes of any kind, which Trump often pointed to in his defense.
4: The ambassador, who I heard was tremendous and a tremendous person, Uh, he was 100% for what we're saying. 100%. And if you look, he also said there was no quid Pro quo. That's the whole
5: bargain. But Songland told investigators he was just repeating what the president told him on a phone call. Songland also said the president delegated oh, Ukraine God. policy to his personal attorney Rudy Giuliani. The president just keeps saying, "Talk to Rudy, talk to Rudy," and that the State Department was aware. Songland says that when he discussed Giuliani's role with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Pompeo rolled his eyes and said, yes, it's something we have to deal with. The White House is dismissing Songland's revised testimony.
3: I will say I'm pretty sure how it's likely to end. If it were today, I, I don't think there's any question it would not lead to a removal.
5: And according to the White House, Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney is not expected to testify this Friday. In Washington, I'm Claudia Uceda.
0: Now back to you. Thank you, Claudia Uceda in Washington, D.C. A lawyer for Fiona Hill, Trump's former top Russian advisor, says that ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, fabricated communication with Hill in his testimony in the impeachment inquiry. According to Sondland's testimony released yesterday, he told lawmakers he had coffee with Fiona Hill in July and that she was pretty upset about her role at the administration. Sondland added that Hill was sort of shaking But Hill's attorney, Lee Wolensky tweeted this morning that, quote, Sondland has fabricated communication with Dr. Hill, none of which ever happened over coffee. Apple and TikTok took a lashing Tuesday for skipping a congressional hearing meant to explore the tech industry and its ties to China. Senator Josh Hawley, a tech industry a critic, blasted Apple and TikTok over the danger of Chinese tech platforms' entry into the U.S. market and the danger it could cost to American tech companies' operations in China. The criticism comes at a tough time for TikTok, which is facing investigation by the U.S. government over potential national security concerns. Hawley also took aim at Apple, saying its ties to China are risking compromise with authoritarianism Facebook now admitting more than 100 app developers had access to your private data after the company implemented new rules restricting exactly that Facebook saying they missed that mistake was found during a security review the company say it has now fixed the problem and ended all access to third party apps A new analysis found that Bernie Sanders is taking in more donations from Latinos than any other presidential candidate. The independent report conducted by progressive firm Plus3 analyzed about 5 million contributions between January and June to find out who Latinos are backing for this election cycle. It's a critical piece of information. The Latino vote is expected to be key in early nominating states like California and Nevada. Joining us now is the author of the report, Juan Proaño. Juan, thank you for being here.
6: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So taking a look at this graphic, Bernie Sanders is by far the leader with $4.7 million in donations by Latinos. And take a look at Joe Biden. He's way below Sanders, who who has... What's the biggest takeaway from your analysis?
6: Well, certainly by far that uh, Bernie Sanders has a lot of support from Latinos, and he also has the most financial backing at this point in the race.
0: Julian Castro is just above Biden. What does that say about Latino support for Castro?
6: Well, you know, one in every three donors to Julian is Latino, which is absolutely incredible. It's the largest percentage of Latinos that are donating to any presidential candidate in the country. But a lot of that also comes from his support in texas and specifically from san antonio in san antonio there was the second largest city um, that was able to raise money for um, julian and for his campaign and texas is predominantly latino over 40 percent latino with over almost 12 million latinos in the state
0: you also analyzed the strength of each campaign in attracting and able to attract latinos which campaign did better
6: well, certainly the Sanders campaign did really well, but we also measure it in regards to which campaigns are actually growing. Elizabeth Warren is showing some strength. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is also showing some strength. We don't really have a good picture of Joe Biden, because Joe Biden really only has three months of fundraising, where Sanders and Warren have a full six months of fundraising. So it's difficult to tell. If you double Joe Biden's fundraising, he'd actually be at about $1.6 million, uh, for a six-month period, which would actually be ahead of Warren and ahead of Buttigieg as well.
0: Do you think that's possible? Do you think more Latinos will start uh, supporting him?
6: Well, the polls show that Latinos are supporting supporting Biden, right? What we haven't seen yet is that that support is turning into financial support as well. And they have to report every month in regards to how they're doing from a fundraising perspective. And they have been behind uh, Warren and behind Sanders overall. But Latinos are contributing almost 10 percent of all of the contributions to these presidential campaigns so you have to do well with latinos and you have to do well with you know fundraising in order to be successful
0: should your analysis be a warning to some of these campaigns
6: well definitely you know the average for all the campaigns is about six percent so if you're falling underneath that average then absolutely it's a warning um for the campaigns that are doing poorly Um, It's also an indicator that, you know, their time may be up. Um, If you're not able to uh, fundraise successfully and you're, you're not able to diversify that fundraising, then that's a risk to any campaign and to any candidate.
0: There's a perception that Latinos aren't big donors in political campaigns. How does your analysis impact that perception?
6: Well, this is the first time any analysis like this has actually been done in the political context, if you will. Is, uh, the data is available, right? Um, what we did is we basically matched Hispanic surnames from the US census uh, 2010. There's over 162,000 uh, surnames in the country. And you know Latinos make up a very large portion of that. So you know, uh, this report really was unique in that it's the first time that it's actually been done. My hope is that in future campaigns, it will be continued to be applied. And then we'll have a measure of how Latinos are investing their money. Uh, in these uh, campaigns moving forward.
0: Thank you, Juan, for joining us and for all the information you have provided.
6: No, oh, thank you so much.
0: Tensions flared up in the streets of La Paz, Bolivia on Tuesday as protesters demanded new elections and missed accusations of fraud. In the recent vote that saw President Evo Morales elected for the fourth term in office, riot police were called in to clear protesters from the streets, launching tear gas at the crowd. Demonstrators responded by throwing tear gas canisters back at the police. The Organization of American States is doing an audit of the vote count, and that's expected to be completed in the next few weeks. Meanwhile, in Chile, protesters clashed with police on the streets of Santiago yet again yesterday. Tensions remaining high there as demonstrators continue to protest the high cost of metro fares. Chile's President Piñera has rejected the notion of resigning and believes he will reach the end of his term in just over two years despite intense anti-government protests that are hitting the country. Now to Peru, where Venezuelans in that country are speaking out and asking for protection, they say they're being targeted simply because they're foreigners. This, as more Venezuelans continue to flee their country, finding themselves migrating to urban areas like Lima, the Peruvian capital. Maria Luisa Martinez has the story. Ah,
1: no te riendo, no te
4: riendo. Espero que no, si te una ¿qué no te
2: these are some of the recent incidents involving Venezuelan and Peruvian citizens currently residing in Lima that are alarming authorities. A man attacked by his Venezuelan tenants who run away after the assault, leaving behind a confusing scene. An alleged Venezuelan delinquent brutally beaten after getting caught stealing. There might be vandals and criminals and of course we condemn those who commit a crime Those people will live with the consequences. It's the law, but I believe most are good people. These kinds of videos taking place on public transport and the streets have been shared widely on social media. They also reveal a growing hostility toward Venezuelans. In another confusing encounter, a group of Venezuelans were physically assaulted and chased to the hotel where they were staying. Paulina Fachin is a Venezuelan activist and spokesperson in Peru and is constantly being threatened. She's afraid for the safety of her fellow immigrants. I'd like to invite all Venezuelans here to come forward as victims of discrimination and xenophobia. I know it's hard to do so, but I will continue to voice my struggle. The Office of United Nations, High Commissioner of Refugees in Lima, estimates that 900,000 Venezuelans are currently living in Lima, and they say that the violence involving Venezuelans are only a small fraction of the reported violence. In Lima, Peru, Maria Luisa Martinez, U News.
3: More
0: of U News after this short break. Welcome back to U News. A proposed merger of two wireless giants is getting a go ahead from federal regulators. The Federal Communications Commission approved T-Mobile's $26 billion acquisition of Sprint Republicans on the commission praised the deal as a way to speed up the introduction of 5G networks in the U.S. But some Democrats opposed it, saying the merger would likely lead to higher wireless bills for some customers. The merger is not final yet because a number of states are still trying to block it in court. Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg will reportedly turn down his stock and bonus money for 2019. That amount makes up a majority of his pay. The significant cut is a response to criticism of the company after two 737 MAX plane crashes killed 346 people. Mullenberg's pay cut will last through 2020, and he also will receive no stock grants until the planes are fully back in service, something the company says may not happen until 2021.
4: Uh, we implemented... Uh...
0: And good news for fashion fans, Forever 21 now says it will not have to close as many stores as expected under its bankrupt- bankruptcy plan. The retailer now says it will close 88 locations across the country, that's down from the initial estimate of nearly 180. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review, and join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then...